in the words of some guy from some TV show, Hey yo, what's up? Where's my theme music? Welcome to the Divisive Albums Podcast, where we are big budget now. That's right, we've got a theme song and everything. On the Divisive Albums Podcast, we look at albums by bands that divided their fan base or were otherwise controversial. I'm your host, MTI, a 35-year-old straight white dude from the US. And on today's episode, we're taking a look at an album by a band near and dear to my heart, and a band whom a lot of my online friends have either forgotten about or never knew existed in the first place. We're going to examine an album by the band Stabbing Westward. Now, more so than any other band I've covered to this point, all two of them, all one of them if you remove the pre-pilot episode about slaying by Def Leppard, anyway, more so than any other band I've covered to this point, Stabbing Westward probably need an introduction, particularly if you weren't an incredibly angry teenager in the 1990s like I was. So I'm going to do something unprecedented on this podcast and play some excerpts from albums other than the one I'll be focusing on for this episode. Stabbing Westward formed in 1986 in Illinois, and like many bands, struggled for several years before releasing an EP in 1992, and more importantly releasing their major label debut in 1994, which was called Ungod. Here's the title track from that album. Now, you'll note a very obvious Nine Inch Nails influence in that song, and if you're a fellow 90s kid like I am, you're probably also saying to yourself, hey, that guitar riff sounds pretty similar to Hey Man, Nice Shot by Filter. And you would technically be wrong. You see, it's not similar to the riff from Hey Man, Nice Shot. It actually is the riff from Hey Man, Nice Shot. You see, guitarist Stuart Zeckman was in both Filter and Stabbing Westward at various times, and I guess he liked this guitar riff so much he just decided to use it in both bands. When the two bands found out about it, they kind of reached a non-aggression pact to not sue one another, which just kind of relegates this to a neat trivia question. If you're curious, Ungod was actually the first song released, but since Stabbing Westward never released it as a single, whereas Filter did release Hey Man, Nice Shot as a single, that's the one people actually remember. Despite their songs ending up in movies like Clerks and Mortal Kombat, as well as an appearance on a show hosted by a then-up-and-coming comedian named Jon Stewart, yes, that Jon Stewart, Stabbing Westward didn't break into the mainstream until their second album, 1996's Wither, Blister, Burn, and Peel, which I'll just call Wither, Blister from now on. This is their most popular album, and it has the one song from them you're likely to actually know, especially if you watched MTV during Now, I've already done a deep dive on the technical definition of a hit song in the Falling Into Infinity episode, so I'm not going to do that again. Instead, I'll just point out that this song, called What Do I Have To Do?, was the one Stabbing Westward song listed in the rather impressive collection of karaoke songs available at Kineticon. By the way, shout out to Stephanie Stardust and Royal Beats DJ Services. Now, this was exactly what I expected if there was only going to be one Stabbing Westward song in the catalog. Make of that what you will. 
1998 saw the release of Stabbing Westward's third album, Darkest Days, a concept album about the breakup of a relationship. While it didn't sell as well as Wither Blister, it, like Wither Blister, eventually earned RIAA Gold certification, and it's generally considered their best album by those who have heard it. It also has the other song you might know by then. On some rock-specific charts, that song, Save Yourself, actually managed a higher charting position than What Do I Have To Do? And no, I don't know how that works. Charts are weird. By the way, a brief note about certification and sales figures here. I'm using the figures from the official RIAA website when I discuss sales and certifications and the like. It's not perfect, but particularly being a US-focused podcast, it is probably as close to an official source as I'm going to get. Then a minor disaster struck. The literal day before they were scheduled to start recording their fourth album, Stabbing Westward got dropped by Columbia Records. After searching around a bit, they signed with independent label Koch Records, stating at the time that they liked the idea of being the metaphorical big fish in a small pond. Here I will pause and point out that this is the first album in the Divisive Albums podcast that is kind of personal for me, and that I remember living through it, so to speak. I followed the news about it leading up to its release, and I remember hearing that this was going to be a softer, more acoustically focused album. This was not exactly what I wanted out of my Stabbing Westward, but I heard a remix of the song Waking Up Beside You on the soundtrack to the movie The Crow's Salvation, which aside, I'll bet you didn't even know that movie existed, let alone that it had a soundtrack album, but either way, this remix assured me that basically everything was going to be okay. And eventually, the focus of today's podcast, Stabbing Westward's self-titled fourth album, was released on May 22, 2001. Is it softer? Is it more acoustic? And most importantly, is it any good? Let's find out together. The album opens with the song So Far Away, which sounds like this. I wish that I could find a way to smash my fist right through these walls of ugliness and emptiness and gently touch your face but every time that I touch you you feel so sorry that was the lead single from the album and foreshadowing alert it was the only single from the album uh, but anyway I dig this song it's a bit more melodic and dare I say it yearning than most stabbing westward that had been released to this point but it still sounds like the band I liked in high school. So let's go on to the next track. So Oh boy. So I guess this is what they meant by softer and more acoustic. And this is not what I want out of Stabbing Westward. Now I'm a little bit too young to remember when Metallica's Black album came out, 
but I can't help but wonder if my feeling on hearing this album for the first time was something like what old-school Metallica fans felt when they first heard said Black album. Uh, luckily, I know a person who may know the answer to that. I'll have to ask him next time I talk to him. Lyrically, this part of the song, which is called Perfect, reminds me of Desperate Now off of Darkest Days. Two issues with this are that I think Desperate Now is one of the weaker Darkest Days songs, and the second issue is that it's lyrically similar but musically sounds nothing like anything Stabbing Westward did up to now. Stabbing Westward had written softer songs to this point, but even when they did, they usually still had some kind of keyboard or industrial influence within them. Now, lest you think this is just a one-off, here's the next track called I Remember. Okay, Stabbing Westward, now you're just teasing me. That intro was all cool and moody and atmospheric, and then you bring in the acoustic guitars and completely lame it out. Now I'm going to skip ahead a little bit to the chorus here. Strangely enough, the chorus of I Remember is one of the only things that, if you'll forgive the pun, I remember from my first listen of this album in 2001. You see, after this album came out, I listened to it. I imagine I did listen to it all the way through, but I can't be 100% sure. And then I kind of tried not to think about it until I came up with the idea for the Divisive Albums podcast. And songs like this were basically why. Luckily, things start looking up with the next song. Now this is closer to what I expect out of this band. There's a drop D guitar riff, and the chords that the song is based around brings to mind a number of Darkest Days songs, including the song Darkest Days. As for the lyrics, they're actually marginally more introspective than I'm used to from Stabbing Westward. You see, besides the most 90s band ever, which I didn't come up with but wish I had, I've sometimes also referred to Stabbing Westward as the Backstreet Boys for really angry teenagers. I feel as though Stabbing Westward is a kind of dark corruption of boy bands, of what boy bands would turn into if all those I-want-it-that-way relationships don't work out for them. Pretty much every Stabbing Westward song, with only a couple exceptions, is in some way about a breakup or the end of a relationship, even if the songs don't necessarily come together into a cohesive concept like they do on Darkest Days. Heck, even on this album, you have a song that opens with the lines, All I need is the air you breathe. You have a song called Breathe You In, and by the way, those are two different songs. Again, if you'll forgive the semi-pun, lyrical breadth is not Stabbing Westward's strong suit. One of the exceptions to this is the album's closer called Television. But I look around, I see numb empty faces. 
Television is about someone trying to keep themselves from going insane, except everyone around them is too busy watching TV to notice or care. It's kind of an avant-garde subject for Stabbing Westward. Even better, despite the slower tempo, this is one of the more industrial tracks on this self-titled album, and I wish there was more stuff like this on this album. Prior to television, this song, called High, is a nice blend of traditional Stabbing Westward with a more pop style. Now, plot twist, it turns out the perfect high is love. What? Now, snark aside, this is interesting to me. You see, the band tend to ping-pong between writing songs from the perspective of a vengeful, jilted ex and writing songs where they're pining for their lost love. But even when they do the latter, they never really discuss love as a concept, and they certainly don't do so in a positive light. It's actually a pretty neat lateral shift for the band. We've sampled six of the album's ten tracks at this point, and before we get to the last song I want to discuss, I want to point out something kind of amusing. Besides their ability to take one lyrical subject and absolutely hammer it into the ground, Stabbing Westward on this album were absolutely awful at coming up with original song titles. The song whose title I didn't give earlier is called Wasted. No, not the Def Leppard song. We just heard a song called High. No, not the Jimmy's Chicken Shack song. And elsewhere on this album is a song called Angel, no, not the Aerosmith song. And this last song's title is amusing more in hindsight, since this song actually came first, but this is not the Pharrell Williams song called Happy. I have very mixed feelings about this song. The chorus is undeniably catchy. I find myself singing along with it in spite of myself. But the rest of the song, well, jaunty Everlast style drum beats are not what I expected or what I wanted out of Stabbing Westward. In spite of the catchy chorus, or maybe because of the catchy chorus, this might be one of my least favorite Stabbing Westward songs ever. So what do I think of this album? Look, I try to be pretty positive overall when I review things, so in that spirit, I'll say this. If you were to take these four songs, So Far Away, High, Wasted, and Television, and put them in that order, you would have a really good to great Stabbing Westward EP. As for the other six songs, I mean, they're competent enough circa 2000 pop rock, I suppose. If you're into that sort of thing, you might enjoy it. On the other hand, there was enough of that around the early 2000s already, Stabbing Westward really didn't need to add to it. The other question is, how well did it sell? 
and the answer is that with one exception, it didn't. The album tanked partially due to the lighter, softer Stabbing Westward, and partially due to the fact that the tour in support of the album ended after only a few months. Why? Well, the band insisted on touring as though they were still major label rock stars, you know, fancy tour bus, individual texts for every member of the band, and so on, except that they were on a label that didn't have the budget to support that for a long period of time. In the wake of that, on February 9th, 2002, roughly nine months after the release of this album, Stabbing Westward announced they were breaking up. The exception, by the way, was Australia, where the album performed very well, because Stabbing Westward had never really taken off there before this. As a result, the album served as Australia's introduction to Stabbing Westward, in a sense, and this kind of lends some credence to what I said earlier about the non-Stabbing Westward songs on the album being pretty good if you're into that sort of thing. Now, when I started doing more research for this podcast, what I found fascinated me and made me kind of sad. I discovered an interview that Stabbing Westward singer Christopher Hall gave in roughly 2008, where he discusses the end of Stabbing Westward. I'll post the link to that as well as another interview from earlier this year in the show notes, and I recommend listening and reading to both. But the short version is that, according to Christopher, a lot of the poppy direction of the songs was at the insistence of one particular person at Koch Records. Not even the label as a whole. The label disliked the album kind of as much as the band did. But that person was essentially hoping to manufacture what happened with Metallica's Black Album, an album I mentioned earlier. If you somehow don't know Metallica's story to that point, the very brief version is that the Black Album was a marked change of direction for Metallica, and it alienated a sizable portion of their existing fanbase. It also became the biggest selling album of the SoundScan era. Now, SoundScan was introduced in 1991, and in Michael Azrad's Nirvana biography, Come As You Are, he explains it as basically a way to measure what people were actually buying record-wise, as opposed to what major labels wanted you to think people were buying. The point of all this is to say that since Metallica's audience multiplied several times over with the release of the Black Album, and they were a double platinum band prior to that, no one particularly cared about the thrash purists who got left behind as a result. Suffice to say that this is not what happened when Stabbing Westward tried something similar. And when the album tanked, the band couldn't agree on a direction going forward. Half of them wanted to commit even harder to the typical early 2000s pop rock direction. The other half wanted to get back to kind of what made Stabbing Westward Stabbing Westward in the first place, and they couldn't reconcile the differences, and they broke up. After the breakup, Christopher Hall and a few other founding Stabbing Westward members formed a new band, The Dreaming, which released a couple albums. And over the last couple years, Stabbing Westward actually got back together, and now they're going back out on tour to celebrate the 20th anniversary of the Darkest Days album. Hopefully they come up my way, I'd like to see that. As for this album, like I said, it has its moments. I like a little less than half of it, and I can see the half I don't like, appealing to people who are more into that style of sound than I am. But this album is probably the closest I'm going to come to being a purist for a band and being disappointed in that band for releasing a new sound album that I frankly did not like overall. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Divisive Albums podcast. You can find me online at my website, MPTI.com. I'm also on Twitter at MPTI.com, M-P-T-I-D-O-T-C-O-M. And I'm also on Discord, where I will post a link to my Discord in the show notes.